and follow along. And I'd like to just take a moment to pray uh, as we come into uh, this text here this morning. So if you bow your heads with me. Gracious Lord, we ask for the same spirit that inspired Paul to give us inspiration from the text. Or the same spirit that spoke these words, we ask that he would speak to us. Uh, Lord, for myself, as I preach, I ask that the uh, words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be uh, pleasing and acceptable to me. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Back in 1865, I think any of you remember then, you, um, the Matterhorn was first climbed. It was the last, really, of the big Swiss Alpine mountains to be climbed. And for people that study mountain climbing, I guess this is the end of the golden age of alpinism. Did you know that the word I, I did? I learned that this week. Uh, but people have been trying to climb that for quite some time, had never been able to get to the top, and some even wondered, could it be done? And in fact, it was. Interesting thing, after it was climbed, the first time, 16 days later, somebody else climbed it. You, you fast forward a little bit to the 1950s, and there's another barrier. Scientists and athletes all got together and said, you know, it is probably physically impossible for a human being to run the mile in under four minutes. It's probably not humanly possible to be done. And in 1954, a man by the name of Roger Bannister did it. And now it's really not any big deal. I mean, it'd be a big deal for me, and it'd be a big deal for most of you. I'd love to promise with each other. But, but runners, it's not really a big deal to beat the four-minute mark anymore. A few years later, there was another barrier. Could a, a person physically run the 100-meter dash in less than 10 seconds? Could they break the 10-second barrier? And in fact, it was done. And now, today, it is common for sprinters who run at an Olympic level to consistently come in under 10 seconds in a 100-meter dash. Each of these, all it took was one person to break that barrier, and then everybody followed. It's amazing what happens if you know it can be done. It's amazing what happens if you know somebody else did it. And I know I can do it. It's true in our physical lives. It's true in our spiritual lives as well. I think this is one of the reasons why the author of Hebrews goes to great lengths to tell us that Jesus has gone and made a new and living way. Before it wasn't possible to go to God. Before it was impossible to enter the throne of grace with confidence, but now Christ has gone there. He has done that, and he invites you to do the same. The other Hebrews doesn't say this as a matter simply of historical fact. He doesn't say it simply as a matter of history or trivia. He wants you to know that Christ has done it, and you can and should do it as well. This morning we see that Paul... In his letter to the Philippians, and I just remind you, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippians from jail. And, and these, these people, if we're going to borrow another running metaphor, I think have hit what marathon runners call the wall. They have been running, they have been going hard at it, and now all of a sudden Paul's been put in prison, and life is getting difficult, and they're wondering, can we go any further? And Paul said, but you're going to do it by following the example of Jesus. Church, you started strong. You need to finish strong. 
Let's pick up in verse 5 and see what Paul has to say about finishing strong. He says, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is reminding the Philippian church, and he's reminding us as well, that we're going to finish strong by following Jesus. I, I, I had it impressed on me this morning, being in the commons, coming through, seeing so many of your faces, and a lot of you I know, and I was thinking, man, I'd love to just ask you, how's your week been? I don't know how it's been. Uh, some of you are new. I, I'd love to ask you this question. What brought you here to church today? And I, I don't know. I wish we could have those kinds of conversations. But I suspect that here in this room, we've got a lot of people who maybe you have stopped following. You started strong, and, and your faith was great. And then all of a sudden, something happened, and it sets you back. And now you're here this morning, and you're going, I'd like to get restarted. I, I want to finish strong. You know, starting a race is exciting, but finishing it is rewarding. And nobody starts following Jesus and going, man, I'd like to do this for a little while and then try something else. We start by saying, I surrender myself to you. And then things happen, weeks happen, difficult things come. And it, it knocks us off course. We get set back. And this morning, Paul says, listen, you can finish strong, but you've got to do it by following Christ. He's the only perfect man. He's the only one who have risen from the dead. He's the only one to have ascended to heaven. And this morning, he invites you, and he invites me, and he invites all of us to follow him. To follow him to the finish line. And Paul holds up Jesus, not as a history lesson, but as an example to follow. And he says, listen, you're going to finish strong by following Jesus if you do a few things here. One is to adopt an attitude of humility. Verse 6 and 7, what does it say about Jesus? It says, Who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. You know, we talk a lot about Jesus. And, and Paul here is, is quoting this, this hymn, verses 6 through 11, and most English Bibles are kind of set off the way that Psalms are set off. And it's set off that way because this is likely a song the early church sang or a creed that the early church recited. And Paul is bringing to the forefront of their conversation something they already know. He says, listen, you're going to finish strong by following Jesus, particularly his humility. And it's interesting, this, the humility of Jesus is, is interesting because before there was the resurrection, and before there was the cross, and before there was the miraculous ministry, and before there was the temptation, and before there was the baptism of Jesus, and before even the incarnation happened, there was something else that happened we don't talk much about. Before any of those things, there was a choice. It was the choice of Jesus to come to earth. Jesus chooses to come. And Paul says, that's humility. Humility to say, you know what, I'm God. 
but I'm going to put aside my godhood, the, the benefits of my godhood, the glory of my godhood, and I'm going to take the form of a slave so I can be with my people. There's a choice of humility. And that choice of humility is what goes through with Jesus throughout his entire ministry. It's humility that led him to the earth. It's humility that when he is, is facing the start of his ministry, he chooses to be baptized by his cousin, a mere mortal human being. And a sign of obedience, and he receives this gift of the Spirit comes down on him. It's humility that takes him there. It's humility that when he's in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, he doesn't say to the devil, you know what, I've just had enough of you. And just, I mean, however that would sound. I would be he, he quotes scripture given by God the Father through the Spirit, through Moses, in the law, in the book of Deuteronomy. Jesus, in humility, quotes scripture to rebuke the devil. It is his humility that I think literally saves the lives of the disciples. I mean, how many times did Jesus say to the disciples, Oh, you of little faith. You know, you could have been followed up with, I've had enough of you. I'm tired. We've been doing this for three years, and you still don't get it. And yet, in humility, Christ bears with the disciples. He bears with the disciples when they have a power grab. When James and John go, hey, Jesus, could I sit on your right and my brother sit on your left when we get to heaven in eternity? And Jesus is thinking, you know what? I just left that place so I could be here with you. And it's his humility that stays his anger. It is his humility that leads him like a lamb to the slaughter. And when they punch him and they say, prophesy, tell us who hit you. Jesus doesn't tell them their name. He knows. Humility that leads him silent like the land to his life. It's his humility that restores Peter and the other cowering disciples after his resurrection. And it is his humility that is still waiting for everybody, you and me included. He is God. And at any point in time, he could have decided he was going to exploit equality with God. And Paul encourages the church, he says, listen, if Christ had that kind of humility, you should have that kind of humility. And he opens chapter 2 with these, these verses. Verse 1, he says, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, and the implied answer is yes. Paul says, listen, you're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. You've had encouragement. You've had consolation. You've shared in the Spirit. You've experienced compassion. You know what it means to experience sympathy. He says, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind. Have the same love. Be in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Paul here is reminding us that humility looks a lot like being thoughtful. Sharing love and purpose with other people. Not being selfish or conceited. Regarding others as better than yourselves. Looking to the interests of others. And yet we often don't do that. And it's not because we're so inherently evil and we just wake up one morning and we decide, you know what, today I'm tired of looking out for other people. I'm just going to look out for me. Girl. I'm going to use whoever I can. I'm going to step on whoever needs to be stepped on so that way I can get where I need to go. I know very few people that wake up in the morning and start their day like that. But 
time is we get started our day, we get so busy, we're so focused on what we've got to do, we get so focused on where we've got to be, that we miss all of these incredible opportunities that God puts around us. We, somebody's hurting, we don't even notice. God's like got a neon arrow that's pointing to this person saying, could you talk to this person? And we just miss it. Because we're so focused on ourselves. I was driving this morning at uh, about 7.30. Uh, I was coming down Scottsville Road. And if any of you were driving about that time, you know what I saw? It was about 25 hot air balloons in the sunrise. It was, it was like postcard perfect. Like picture perfect. The kind of thing you hang up on a wall, you know, that, that kind of thing. It was beautiful. And, and it was so funny because I, I, I was overwhelmed with just this sight. I was distracted by how beautiful it was. And I thought, man, everybody's got to be experiencing the same thing. <laughs> so I started looking at all the cars coming my way. And it was funny because, like, there were different kinds of reactions. The, the, the first reaction I noticed was on the road to Scottsville, and I mean, why you're going there with such intensity and purpose, I have no clue. Just being serious with you. And so, you know, this guy is driving, and he is just like, that's all that he's got in his mind. He is oblivious to the fact that there's this beautiful thing taking place there. The sun is coming through this direction, and he misses it. It's a shame to miss something like that for Scottsville. Trust me. There were other people who were, I could tell they were being paid to follow them because they had like a big trailer in the truck and it said hot air balloon follow team. And they're like, they're not even paying attention to the road. They're looking at the hot air balloon because that's their job. And then there's other people that were overwhelmed with beauty. I was terrified when I, in all seriousness, saw a woman who had her phone on top of her steering wheel and she's doing this number. And Paul says, listen, in humility, don't be so wrapped up in what you're doing that you miss other people around you. He's just paying attention. Well, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less often. And it was Jesus who had thoughts for us that brought him to earth. He wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about you, and he was thinking about me when he made the choice to go to the cross. When he made the choice to stay on the cross. Jesus wasn't thinking about Jesus, he was thinking about us. It was his mind that was captivated with love for his people that lives in there. And that love didn't just start strong, it finished strong, because it was committed to the very end. Now, I know this is hard. We talk about this. You know, verse 7 and 8 talks about how he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. There we go. Well, you know, that for me. Well, I mean, if, if the Father's plan meant Jesus had to be obedient to the cross, why should our obedience be any less? I don't know why. I mean, that said, we may not have to obey by dying, but we should all be willing to be obedient until we die. And, and that was Jesus' invitation. This isn't, a, a, you know, a bait and switch kind of deal. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says this. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. All the way to the end, every day, take up your cross, follow me. Be committed to the end. John Stephen Macquarie was from Tanzania. Some of you will remember this. Ran in the 1968 Olympic marathons in Mexico City. He had not trained in high altitude. 
He had not trained in the horrific smog that Mexico City had. And he was overwhelmed by both of those things. Uh, it wasn't halfway through the race that he falls. He has a giant gash on his knee. He dislocates his knee, and he damages his shoulder. And after receiving a little bit of first aid, he gets up and keeps running. He's the very last to finish the race. He was the last of the 57 competitors who completed the race. 75 had started the race. 18 dropped out. The Corey finished. People ask him, why did you finish this race? Why did you go for this? I mean, other people quit for reasons not nearly as severe as this. Why did you finish it? And he said this. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. My friend Zatsy. John McCory remembered one thing. He remembered the finish line. He remembered the finish line and the celebration that goes with it. That's what he remembered. Jesus in Luke 9, 24, right after he said, you've got to take up your cross and follow me daily, he said this, he said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Jesus says, listen, the finish line, the, the victory, it comes through the sacrifice. If we're going to finish strong, we've got to remember the reward that Jesus promises and keep going towards it. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Now let me tell you, Christianity is not a contest. You don't have to finish in the top 100 to be saved. But Paul says, listen, I don't want to get to heaven and just be like, well, you barely make it. He said, I want to run in my following of Christ. I want to run after Jesus in such a way that if it was a race, I would win. I, I want to run in such a way that, that I would win this imperishable prize. And that is proclaiming that. <coughs> you know, we're all running after something. We're all pursuing something. <coughs> I mean, you're doing it. I don't know what it is. You're disciplining yourself to win something. Maybe it's a promotion at work or a raise or a bonus or a scholarship, a relationship, a new car, a house. I don't know. We're all running for something. We run for a lot of imperishable prizes. And Paul says, listen, make sure that the finish line you're running towards is what you really want. I don't golf, but I did try a couple times. I remember very distinctly being on a fairway, sitting a ball, and being on the green. I hit it. And I landed on the green. A, a putt away. Swirl away. The problem was I hit the ball perfectly to the other green. <laughs> I, I, I went to the other green. I mean, I was there. I, I think in life we end up in these kinds of spots. We run for things. And we go for something. And then when we cross the finish line or we end up there, we, we look at what we've got and we go, wait a second. This isn't quite <coughs> what I want. 
How many times have we gotten something in life and we then get it and we look at it and we go, man, this isn't nearly as satisfying as I hoped it would be. And Paul is saying, listen, don't cross the finish line only to find that you finish the wrong race. Make sure that you finish the race that will lead you towards eternal life. Paul's going to continue in the text, and, and I know we're a little squeezed on time, so we'll go through these last few verses fairly quickly. Paul says, when we work to finish strong, a few things happen. Verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. It is by your holding fast to the word of life that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and the offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me in prison as I await my death. Verse 12 and 13, it's got a plan where Paul says, I want you to work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. Paul is saying, listen, God is at work in you. And, and that's the salvation piece. God, God does that. You, you can't run fast enough or jump high enough or, or do something well enough to earn your way into heaven. That's clear. Paul says, God's working that into you. He says, but you should work out what God has worked in. You should, we might say, live out what God has worked in. And it's a serious business. He says you should do this with fear and trembling. Great reverence. Tim Keller's book on prayer writes about the fear of God. This is a little bit longer quote than I normally share, but I, this is a good quote. I'm going to read this to you. He says, what then should a Christian be afraid of regarding God? Think of it like this. Imagine that you suddenly are introduced to some person you have always admired enormously. Perhaps someone you have hero worshipped. You reach out to shake her hand and suddenly it hits you. You can't believe you're actually meeting her. You discover to your embarrassment that you're trembling and sweating. And when you try to speak, you're out of breath. What is going on? You're not afraid of being hurt or punished. Rather, you are genuinely afraid of doing something stupid or saying something that is inappropriate for the person on the occasion. Your joyful admiration has a fearful aspect to it. You are in awe, and therefore you don't want to mess up. Because of unutterable love and joy in God, we tremble with the privilege of being in His presence and with an intense longing to honor Him when we are there. We are deeply afraid of grieving Him. To put it another way, you'd be quite afraid if someone put a beautiful, priceless, ancient Ming Dynasty vase in your hands. You would be trembling with fear, not about the vase hurting you, but about your hurting it. Of course, we can't really harm God, but a Christian should be intensely concerned not to grieve or dishonor the one who is so glorious and who did so much for us. Paul's reminding us that a life lived in holy fear of God shows his salvation at work inside of us. A life that is flippant about God and his costly sacrifice 
shows a lack of knowledge concerning God. So the first thing it does is it shows that God's salvation is important to us. The second thing it does is it shows that we are children of God. Verse 14 and 15 says, Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless, innocent children of God. I just, it's a real simple take home. You can be a little more like Christ by not complaining. Take that one home with you. How does that sound? Finally, we'll, we'll leave that one there. We'll pick up this next one here. When we finish strong, we encourage other believers to finish strong as well. You know, nothing helps me succeed in my spiritual life like knowing that you're succeeding in your spiritual life. Because you come back and you say, man, things are going well and God spoke to me this way. And it is so encouraging to hear that. You know, at the um, Colorado Springs has the Olympic high altitude training pool for all of the swimmers. And lived in Denver for a while, came down and visited that facility. The pool's very, very big. It's an olympic sized pool. But over the top of it, they've got this track and trolley with these wires that come down into the pool. And swimmers will strap them on. Um, and what this does is the swimmers can come into the pool and they can put how fast they want to swim, whatever, whatever you know, distance they're about to swim. And they do this. That way the, the trolley will travel at that speed and give them a little bit of a tug if they start to fall behind. And it encourages them to keep up the pace. Um, they said a lot of the, the, the people, they get there for the very first time, will punch in like the world record for uh, whatever it is. <laughs> and he said, you know, it, it's funny because they can't keep up and they get so far behind that the thing literally pulls them out of the water. <laughs> and, and like they fall back in and like they technically get drowned by the time they're done. <laughs> but friends, you know, why do they do that? They do that so that way they can be encouraged by somebody else's time. That person's not there, that person's not swimming with them, but that person who set that record is reminding them that it can be done because it's been done before. And this morning in our spiritual life, we see that Christ is the one who has lived the kind of life we want to live. He's attained the rewards that we want to attain. And Paul says you can finish strong by following Jesus. This morning we're going to have a worship team come up. During our song of invitation, we will invite, uh, invite you to come forward. We invite you to come forward to start strong. Maybe you think, again, I, I like to finish strong, but I, I think I probably need to get started before I can finish. And that's true. You do have to start before you can finish. And so this morning, if you've never received Jesus Christ, and you need to do that, I'd love for you to come forward and to find out what it takes to get a good, strong start. Others of you, you are Christians, and you've traveled this road for a while, and you think, you know, I need a church like Bowling Green Christian Church that is going to encourage me in my faith and push me to get to where I want to be. If so, we'd love for you to come forward this morning and to become a member of this church. Simply for the fact that you can identify yourself as this is part, this, this is my spiritual family, and we're going to encourage each other. So if you have a decision to make, we want to invite you to come forward and sing.